It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Episode 212, ladies and gentlemen, we are live and living color again, funky like a monkey if you will. This is the Pancakes and Power Slam show. Of course, I am Chris Featherstone, your host. 212 episodes, ladies and gentlemen, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. 212 consecutive weekly episodes. I mean, I mean, come on now. We're we're aiming for records now. That's our goal. Weekly episodic podcasts. I've I've seen certain podcasts that has plugged themselves as the longest podcasts, and um, that's not true because the Pancakes of Power Sim show has been going consistently for four-plus years strong, and we are not going anywhere. Why are we going anywhere? Because week after week, we continue to have amazing interviews for the listening audience. And tonight is no different. Ladies and gentlemen, we have JTG in the building and it's going to be an amazing interview. And 
We'll be back for JTG's interview in just a few moments. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Four corners, three. Our mind. Let's go. The whole squad is making it clear We taking this year You know who we are But you don't know why we here So this is where the big boys play These big boys play Like who defies the living God Get out the big boys way Outsiders with the swoop in We live as kings You see in us But our third man waits in the wings And when the time is right We shock him with the proper attack I go for dolo but ain't solo Cut the promo in black Hollywood Hendrix Prizzle pinning them to the max. And I'm Das Wonderkin with the strength of a hundred men. With one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap about your gas and your rags torture. White coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome. Never lost faith. You in all space. You can all skate. Suffer but never crippled. No bin walls in my cross face. From here to Saturday raving. Anticipating. I was frostbitten. Now I am Glacier. Mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals. You God for my defense in Alabama, we jamming. That's beautiful, Bobby Eaton, me and Priest. We the dangerous alliance, nah, the Harlem Heat. Tie the do-rag before we do battle. You're talking shit, you are what you speak. This dude, still a genre is took back. We repping that work pack. The foundation's shaking, no mistaking. Yeah, we shook that. Trust in God, we trust. Pushing forward, never look back. Meekness ain't at all weakness. Some people mistook that. Stamping out this crook rap. He turning the power. Power on, on the razor's edge, leg drop after a power bomb. Tired of the lies, man, we bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful, the owners in our group too. It's good to be king, sold out this war is brutal. We playing them war games, our army go move too. You crew, I'm in the raptors with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. In the grand scheme, it's that easy. We tag teaming, Steiner brothers, we love it. Demand the win, establish it. This the class to the champion. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. Episode 212, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Pancakes and Power Slam show. Thank you once again for joining us. I am Chris Featherstone. Follow us at Crave Wrestling on Twitter, on Facebook at Crave Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, as mentioned, I have JTG for the second time. I guess this is the uh, night of twos because this is the second time that I've had someone in four years. This is the second time that I've had someone on twice ever. And JTG is on here once again. The first time was uh, it set a pretty high bar when we talked before on the show. And uh, this one's going to be fun as well. So. This is episode 212, the second time speaking with JTG. So without further ado, how are you tonight, sir? Yo, Chris, thanks for having me, man. Everything is going great. Awesome, man. Great to have you as well. After the reviews that I'm getting from the second book, everything is definitely going great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, yes, it is uh, – the, the second book is um, called uh, D-A-M and the, the rest, and then uh, – why did I write this book too? So what motivated what motivates you to write a second book 
Was it just the reviews and all the popularity that the first book had, which was talked through so many media, media streams? Or was it just a matter of you already had in store to write a second book because there were so much stories you had to share? No, I definitely didn't really intend to write a second book. Um, you know, I had a few more stories that I left out from the first book that I didn't, that I didn't want to put in there. But, you know, the response that I got from the first book, the fans demanded it. Like, yo, you have to write a second book, man. The first book was good. And the reviews were just extraordinary. The fact that, you know, I have, I've had, you know, as you already know, wrestling fans are very, very harsh critics. Yes. So to, um, to say how much they love my book, despite despite the grammar, despite <laughs> <laughs> how much they loved my uh, first book, um, I had to write a second one. Awesome. Yeah, I, I could see that because, like I said, it, it got so popular. Um, the first book was so popular because, you know, they're harsh, you know, the, the fans are harsh critics, but at the same time they love heat. <laughs> they really love heat. They really love the, the story of pro wrestling because pro wrestling is, has such a, reality standpoint for so much people so without further ado uh let's get into your book of course let's not um you know we encourage everyone to buy the book uh even before we start into the book where can they find it at well they can find the book on amazon so they can get it on their kindle they can find the book on google play and they can also find the the, the book on my uh from a, on the link that's a, that's in my bio on uh, my social media pages, which is Twitter, which is JTG1284. And also the book link is also in my Instagram at JTG1284. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So there's uh, probably about, I don't know, close to 10 uh, different uh, points in your book. Uh, Cause it didn't take me long at all to read it probably a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, as I was reading it, I made sure just to, to copy uh, direct quotes or uh, certain chapters uh, to talk about with you. So the first quote says, I've also seen second-generation superstars who wanted to use their real last names to pay homage to their fathers to get slapped with ridiculous-sounding fake last names. They were pissed, but they said yes, they went along to get along. And, and, you know, for, for those who don't know this, this book, uh, mostly talks about how to play the game. That's really the, the subtitle and just the running theme of this book is how to play the game and how important it is for a wrestler to understand what the game is and how to play the game in order to ascend in the rankings, so to speak, because wrestling is all about jockeying for position and how you ascend in that pecking order is understanding how to play the game. Am I pretty accurate on that? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with that specific quote, um, you know, uh, I, I'd imagine those who, um, <laughs> who who read the book who, who or who listened to that quote, uh, they can probably understand who that particularly goes uh, with you don't have to say any names if you don't uh, feel inclined <laughs> to uh, but at the same time uh, describe that a little bit more uh, for our listeners uh, I'll give you a perfect example you know I'm going to say names you know for people like me like I said in my book <laughs> right <laughs> um, for example I you know 
Mr. Perfect Son, mm-hmm. you know, he was absolutely upset that he couldn't use his last name. You know, even uh, his father is such a icon in the wrestling business. Why would you not want to use the last name Henning? Right. And I saw how disturbed he was. You know, that's his father. Why would you slap on a name like McGillicuddy? To me, that, that's one of the, in the top yeah. ten, one of the worst names in the world, McGillicuddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know he was very upset about it, but he couldn't display that because he had to re- remain professional. And um, like I say, uh, had to go along to get along. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, and, and the funny thing about that is that he was Joe Hennig Jr. Uh, in, in FCW. So, uh-huh. well, I'm sorry, he was Joe Hennig in FCW. Joe- Mm-hmm. So and, and so they know that you know he was Kurt's son, but for yeah. some reason when he was plugged on NXT, all of a sudden we're supposed to forget all of that as if FCW has no affiliation at all with the WWE, and he gets slapped with Michael McGillicuddy. Now, did he share with anyone in particular, or did you hear about just how he felt? about being slapped with that name. I know he had to go along and get along, but I know that there was so much just disappointment when he found out that he had to be named Michael McGillicuddy. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he, you know, he expressed that to me, and and he didn't get to choose his, uh, his last name. Like, if he was going to not use his father's name, at least let it be a cool, cool last name. Right. Name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, you were around when he became Curtis Axel, too, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, was he a little bit more, uh, I guess, in, inviting uh, of that name? I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but I, I would believe so because um, it was in a combination of both his grandfather and his father. Right, right. Yeah, and it's then pretty much better than uh, – um, McGillicuddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Just yeah, McGillicuddy. As if that name was uh, had champion written all over it, which it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anybody else that uh, that you know that actually was named something, or 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 you, you heard in the back any stories that um, they they were given a name and they weren't they weren't satisfied with it, but they couldn't really say anything. Um, not right right now, not off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure there's a few more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, I'd imagine that uh, when you're in the office with uh, the big wigs and they say, you know, why don't we just why why don't we just call you this? You know, it's just <laughs> and you know, I, I remember what. Uh, are you familiar with the um, uh, the, the the puke story? Oh yeah, with um. Yeah, yeah, withdraw. He's gonna puke, you know. That's <laughs> I could just see Mr. McMahon in the room with someone just trying, just just kind of manipulating them to to feel that their name's gonna be worth a million bucks. But uh, my my name and Paul Heyman gave me the name Neighborhoody. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was the name I was given. Neighborhoody sounds absolutely ridiculous, but you know what? Paul Heyman gave it to me. I wanted to be on TV. Yes, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, absolutely. So you addressed Arn Anderson, and you said that there was a well. Bo- on both books, you mentioned many times how Shad uh, led the both of you to very hot waters. 
And in one of those in- instances is when Chad pronounced uh, – Ch- Chad said they uh, when it came to Arn Anderson. And this infuriated Arn Anderson uh, to the point of, like, he just totally went off. So describe that a little bit more. That was very uncomfortable. Uh, like if anybody who back it up, anybody could relate. I can relate this story to anybody. If you ever seen somebody get yelled at or embarrassed, and it has nothing to do with you, but you feel the embarrassment, you want to put your head down to. That's exactly how uh, me and the world's greatest tag team felt when this was going when, when this was happening. Because you know, before it was a, at first when he was doing his promo on Chad, you know, he was giving him a little speech about they who who's they. And um, when it got a little bit further, like, you really see how disappointed he was. It started to get real uncomfortable, like, oh, ouch. That <laughs> <laughs> was the atmosphere, like, oh. Yeah, that was that was just really, really interesting. Um, they, <laughs> as if they trumped uh, what Arn Anderson had to say at the time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I um, imagine. So the pounds versus euros, I found that very – very interesting um, that, you know, you guys corrected the producer who, um, you know, was basically kind of letting y'all know about the speech and things like that, about the promo um, from from there. Describe that story a little bit more as far as uh, you understanding the currency, you know, the country that you're in. You addressing that to the producers, but them still telling you go along with the wrong currency, even yeah. though they, even though y'all are baby faces. Yeah, that that should be handled more strategically. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to give it up to Chad. Chad knew, um, <clears throat> like I said in the book, Chad knew about the currency. I wasn't really uh, paying attention. You know, Chad, Chad's the one that pointed it out and said something about it, and. Um, we thought there was a big when they when they denied us and told us to go along with the wrong with the wrong um, currency. We was like in shock. Like, why would they want to you know make us look like fools, especially if we're the baby faces? You know, heels would usually do that to get a response. They get, they get a negative response from the fans, but we're baby faces. So we thought there was a bigger you know there's something that they're not telling us right. Then maybe they have they they they're. They they want us to do something bigger, bigger plan, and we're not seeing it. But there was no bigger plan. They just, you know, somebody wanted to make us look like fools. I, that's the, at the, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it looked. That's what it came across as. Yeah. Now, I wish we would have handled it different because we still, uh, up until this book, we were still getting slack. We would go overseas for independent shows, and fans were signing, were signing autographs and taking photos. Like, why would you say, uh, say, um, what did we say? Your yours, uh, pounds, pounds. Yeah, yeah. They were, like they don't understand that they, we were doing what we were told. They thought we were trying to be uh, disrespectful or something. Like, wow. something like that. So that so left a scar, I definitely had to clear that up. Yeah, <laughs> that left a that left a, a ongoing scar for y'all. That but basically you're saying just uh, healing up. So that's at least you know at least there's some. At least there's some solace, and there's you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel because I can I can see why that can be such a scar you know for people again you know before like you said before this book no one had a clue you know of y'all being told to <laughs> still go ahead and, and and do that so what why do you what do you think the motive was behind that I mean you said that you know to make y'all kind of look like fools but 
was it just a rib type thing, or, or was it just a matter of we don't want y'all to get over as much because y'all are, because y'all are so, making yourself so over that we kind of want to stop that a little bit. I guess I, I no. It's the only reason I can think of because they wanted us to look like fools, look like clowns, mm-hmm. the, because um, <clears throat> I don't believe you should play with your uh, product like that. Like I don't think you will make, do a rib like that on national TV where it's gonna where it's gonna affect your product. Mm-hmm. You're, you're making money with these guys. These guys are over. These guys are selling merchandise. These guys are you know one of our most over tag teams. Why would you want to jeopardize that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So there's a quote in the book that says, uh, the following week at Raw, our opponents pull Shad and I to the side, and they say to us that they were told by an anonymous source to break my legs in the shower for not selling their finisher in the world's most famous arena. Please mm-hmm. elaborate. Yeah, I, I, that caught me off, off guard, uh, like to to, um, to inflict pain on me and take and, and, and break my legs so I couldn't work and provide that's, that's, that's really big. Like he, they were told that uh, that's how that vet would have handled it back in their days, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And they didn't do it because they liked me. It's like, wow, do you guys like me? You know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, is, then, is that type of bullying type of uh, mentality pretty common uh, backstage? They could get a, get away with get away with it with us because you know we had a lot of issues. We had a lot of heat backstage. Like right. who's gonna crime time and they played the game very well um at the moment and, and at the time you know they had a lot of they had a great relationships you know they were you know they were riding with Shawn Michaels so they yeah. definitely felt like they could say things like that and get away with it wow so without saying a name how can someone further kind of uh put two and two together of, of who that is who the uh who the vet was yeah um how could I? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. How do I say, how do I say it? Oh, of course. You know, not the name, but uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a heat magnet. So, how, so how do we go? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the thing is, I, I don't know because I don't know exactly who, who told him to say it. I, I believe it was up. It was two people who told him to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was are the two people a tag team or the two oh, people former world champions? Oh no, <laughs> they're not two. I believe that um, it was one person or another. Not two people told him to do it. Oh, got you, got you, got you. Okay. <laughs> so one person. So one person. I'm thinking that that told him to say it. Uh, might one might have been an agent. Mm-hmm. The other one might have also been the uh, uh, the racist in my other story. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. <clears throat> and is that is that is that racist guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I, does is that does that racist guy uh, have a catchphrase? Yeah, but that's definitely going to give it away. You know, I might. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not going to give it away. There's a bunch of famous catchphrases uh, throughout the throughout the uh, course of, of professional wrestling history. So no, you hey, listen, you didn't say any names, so you're not accountable for uh, for anybody. Uh, you you also said uh, as far as JTG, as far as you holding the world title, you said for JTG to be champion. All the other talent must be on one single plane coming from an overseas trip 
while he called out sick. During that trip, our plane must crash and everyone must die from the plane crash, including the Divas. And maybe, just maybe, he might just get a one-week title run. (laughs) Wow. That was very encouraging. And it made, I'm sure that it made you feel just right on par to become world champ. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they definitely um, were a lot of red carpets to me. But, no, uh, you know, my, my my confidence has always been high. And, you know, especially, like I said in the book, you know, Mick Foley stepped in and he said something that definitely, you know, brought my confidence back up because a locker room roast is pretty bad. When you have all the boys uh, uh, ch- chiming in and, Putting them, to, putting their two words in, and roasting you. Yeah, it could definitely affect you. And you know, I, I was glad before we were there to be the Buzz Killington and end that pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Is there any other wrestler that you uh, remember uh, that has, you know, that, that tended to step in? I know, I remember. I think it was uh, sto- some story that I heard before that uh, William Regal stepped in before too. Um, are there any other legends that um, tended to step in during times like that? Uh, definitely William Regal definitely stepped in. Um in my first book, one of my stories. Yeah. Uh McFoley. Uh who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh off the top of my head I'm trying to think. Um Umaga stepped in a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh and that's like I think I'm off the top of my head right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's I mean that's good though. I mean that's that definitely, you know, merits, you know, a great uh um a level of respect, you know, for for wrestlers to, you know, to step in. I remember the first book you did talk about wrestlers' court. Um, that was uh, very interesting. And there's so many different wrestlers' court stories. I'm having Teddy Long uh, on the show here in a few weeks. And, um, yeah, I, I'll be looking forward to wrestlers' court stories from, from, from Teddy Long. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. Absolutely, will do. So he was he was involved in many wrestlers' courts, right? He was. I didn't know that. Uh, as as far as I remember from the stories I've heard in different interviews, he would tell me. He, I mean, he would tell the inter, the, the, the interviewers about um, wrestlers' court, not actually being the the person up for the jury, but just experiencing that <laughs> you know that whole wrestlers' court type of thing. So if I'm not mistaken, Taker was usually the guy who yeah. was was you know the 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 jury and executed the, the the judge and the jury, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And I went to one wrestler's court where John Cena was actually the judge. Oh uh, okay. And, and the uh, executioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean how far was that in Cena's career? Um he was yeah he was pretty much the world champion at oh, that okay. moment. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna take a look present. <laughs> yeah, was was Cena ever in uh, part? Was he ever in the uh, wrestlers court as I guess the uh, defendant? Um, not that I know of. Oh wow, that's uh, pretty interesting. Now, were there wrestlers courts that you weren't in <clears throat> that you can remember that was very you know interesting and, and memorable? Well, one wrestler's court I do remember that happened overseas was with a um, a talent. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, I can't remember it at the time. He didn't make it to TV. <laughs> he was on Tough Enough. I can't remember his name at the moment. But um, he went to wrestler's court for leaving uh, one of his comrades 
at the club, and his, uh, his I believe it was Kofi. Was it Kofi? They went to the club together, and he left, and Kofi got drunk, and uh, somebody else had to take take him home. And you know, some unwritten rule is to you know, if you walk in, if you come to the club with somebody, you make sure you guys leave together. Mm-hmm. I never heard that before, but I guess it makes sense. So uh, he was accused of leaving a fallen comrade behind, and he was uh, sentenced for like a month not to dress in the lock. He couldn't dress in the male's locker room with the rest of the talent. Wow. There was um, a similar story that I saw somewhere as far as uh, The Miz um, uh, having that same, um, not not the same uh, outcome or sentence, but uh, I think he he kind of ticked off. Uh, yeah, it was it was some story that I heard that he ticked off Chris Benoit, and mm-hmm. because he was kind of hovering over his chicken or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And have you heard of that before? No, I haven't. Yeah, well, he was kind of like hovering over his chicken, if I'm not mistaken, and then he got upset and threw threw his bags out of the locker room and told him told him to dress outside. Uh, so I'd imagine if I hear, you know, if, if stories like that happen, I'm sure that you you witness all uh, kinds of stuff backstage. What what's 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 uh like one or uh, two of the the craziest uh, backstage moments that you remember for for a wrestler? Um, one of them that I witnessed was a complete rib though. It was like my first time uh, at at a Raw. First time at Raw, I saw uh, the late Umaga and the late uh, Viscera almost go blow, go blow to blow. And, you know, tables were tossed, bags were, were, um, were thrown. And as soon as uh, each one of them was about to throw, um, throw a fist, they hugged. And they looked at the rest of us. And like, we got you. Y'all thought y'all was going to fight. And none of y'all was going to break it up. <laughs> I was like, how are you supposed to break up you two big two big guys? <laughs> that was a, that was a very good rib. That was our first day on the road. I'm like, oh man, what are we getting ourselves into? You know, ribs like this. <laughs> I'm a new guy. I'm gonna pull back Umaga. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, what wrestler did you notice that oftentimes went to wrestlers' court that you can think of on top of your head? Um, wrestlers' court wasn't. Um, didn't happen a lot. You know, I think the last time somebody went to residence court was, uh, um, which was a big one. I think the last time ever was, was my situation that I talked about in, in, in the, um, in the first book mm-hmm. and story that I just told you before, but after that, there's no been that, that the environment right now is totally different. Mm-hmm. It wasn't more laxed then. Uh, I know that they have the PG and the, and the sponsors and things like that now, and, and you, you know, you only left a, a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And so explain real quick just the kind of kind of like the progress of the atmosphere backstage from when you first started to when you left. The atmosphere has definitely changed a lot. You know, you have a lot, the locker room is more filled with, you know, NXT guys and developmental guys. When I was there, you know, there were some OBW guys, OBW guys there, but, you know, you had, Guys that didn't, you have a lot. You had a lot more vets. Uh-huh. It was so it was definitely like walking on eggshells. I think it was, it was when I first got there. You had guys like John Cena. You had Umaga. You had um, Undertaker, Chris Benoit. You had Shawn Michaels. You had you know you had all these big names there that's been there for years. 
you know, and, you know, the, it was definitely intimidating, you know, me, especially me being 21 years old. A lot of those guys came up from OVW were relatively young. Mm-hmm. So, um, and those guys were definitely brought up in a different, different era, you know, where hazing was definitely a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I don't think so much, hazing is not so much part of the culture and you don't have that same, uh, uh, those, um, what you call it, the word that I want to use, traditions. <laughs> uh, that that we used to have when I when I was uh, coming up in the business as a newcomer. Yeah. Now you know we 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 see that Triple H ha- has ascended you know up the ladder to be one of the top executives. Mm-hmm. Now now did you notice that you know as you when you first started he was more of just a wrestling personnel. Now he's more of an executive personnel. Did you notice that just with the change of attitude? What were some things that you kind of noticed? as far as Triple H's ascension up the ladder from a corporate standpoint? Well, when I first got there, he was always uh, considered office to me. That's what we call people who, who's, um, who have a lot of political say and, and um, you know, pull some of the strings behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. He was always on that level, like on the same level to me as um, Stephanie or Shane or, or Vince, but he was just more active. So when he just put the suit on, you know, it, it didn't really – make a big difference. I always knew that he was just more than a talent and he was really in control of a lot of um uh some of the situations behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 You said uh, a couple quotes in your book. You said only two legends really disappoint me and you described uh a legend that said, Hey you Mr. Crime Time, I want to talk to you. You and your partner are a mockery to the business. I helped build this business with my own two hands. If it was up to me, you all wouldn't be here. We should never, we should have never accepted your kind in the business to begin with. I can't wait to get every last one of you out. You're a mockery. You hear me? A darn mockery. So, um, for for the readers out there, go into that just a little bit more. Um, and, and of course, you know these these quotes are to. Uh, prompt people listening to the show to buy the book to get into the detail and to the meat of it, uh, but explain that a little bit more as far as that experience. Well, that quote was said uh, by by someone who was definitely under the influence. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> he was with his wife and he was definitely under the influence. He was by the bar, and me being um, he was twenty one or twenty two. Um, hearing him say that, you know, this guy had so much respect in the business. You know, this guy is a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. Um, he's done. He definitely um, was a pioneer in in the, in the wrestling industry and uh, definitely took it to the next level. But um, when he said it, because of my respect for him and not being uh, being too much enlightened and having the knowledge of racism. Or even even being in total denial, you know. At the time, I was definitely in denial. I, when he said um, the statement that he made, I thought he was talking toward talking talking about rookies, you know, guys that were from OVW. That's how I took it as, and that's how I wanted to take it as because I didn't want to think that this guy was racist because, you know, I had so much respect for him. Right. It wasn't until the second time where he uh, pretty much showed his cards, and you know, it was at the bar again. He was with his wife, and it was like, wow, yeah, this guy, he confirmed to me that he was a racist, and I could not be in denial anymore. Yeah, 
Yeah, that has to be deep, especially if you esteemed him so high um, as a fan, I'd imagine. Real quick, uh, (laughs) a couple more things. Not using your own character for the THQ 2010 tournament. Now, people, people would imagine, like, okay, well, he just didn't want to use his character. But no, no, no. Somehow, this elicited heat. How so? It elicited heat because, you know, some some guys, some guys they, they they think it's disrespectful. The person who cut the promo on me for winning the, after I won the the um, tournament was upset that because he believed that it was such an honor to be in a video game that for me not to choose my character was disrespectful to anybody who wasn't in the video game in the tournament. Uh-huh. You know, and as I explained in the book, you know. Uh, I I didn't want I want I practiced I read you know I was practicing for weeks with my character, but because my because my character was so low, that when you know when I went against my first opponent, which was my which was my um, partner Shad, my tag team partner Shad, he picked Umaga and Umaga's ranking was like eighty five ninety, and you know there was no way I was gonna be able to defeat this uh, <laughs> defeat this monster using my character who was somewhere around sixty five seventy, so I. I even the playing fields, and I picked uh, Randy Orton. Uh-huh. Yeah, which was so tough. And then going against uh, Kofi, you know, I already got in the groove with Randy Orton, and I didn't want to revert back to to uh, to using JTG because now I already I already switched my style up in my in my in my in my uh, in my uh, plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, uh, there were. Five characters you you named in your in your book that uh, you, you pitched and well four um, that you pitched and one pitched by Mrs. Man. You had one uh, that had a Rocky Five theme, an Urban Joker theme, an Urban Rockstar theme, and uh, these themes come with pictures too of of him kind of immersing the characters. You definitely got to get the book for that just to to see the pictures because I found them very funny. And then the uh, GQ models. And then one was pitched by Vincent Mann uh, as being a P. Diddy character. Please explain to us the logic of that and how that was going to work in Vincent's eyes. Yeah, he, I actually got called at the office for that one. You know, mm-hmm. he, the office Triple H was president. He said, "Yeah, um, we used to have promo class, and he liked he liked my promos that I that I used to um, cut in a promo class." So he said, "You have you have great mic skills. I want to make you a manager. You know, we want to bring back the manager the manager." Um, uh, personality back to wrestling. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when they when they released the um, the managers of uh, WWE DVD, so they wanted to bring bring the managers back. I had a great uh, mouthpiece, uh, pause, and <laughs> and they gave me a talk about um, uh, having this uh, swag like P Diddy. You know, I'm no longer the the thumb that steals. Now I'm the I'm a boss. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm feeling where you going with this. You know, I'm okay. He was like, I want you to think of some, um, think of some, uh, your look and how you would talk. You know, I want you to, I want to change it. I want to reinvent him. I was like, okay, I could do that. And um, he didn't really give me any exact details. You know, he kind of of left it up to my imagination. You know, I got a suit jacket. You know, I, um, what else did I do? I started working on my promos and I, I started managing. Uh, Tyson Kidd on Superstars, uh-huh. and when I look back on it, I'm, I'm watching it on uh, on YouTube. 
it just looked very odd because, you know, I'm a big guy myself. You know, I'm I'm, I'm bigger than Tyson Kidd. I don't know. It just looked very odd me managing uh, Tyson Kidd just because I have, you know, I could have good mic skills, okay, but I'm also a talent too. Right, right. <laughs> he's yeah. like, like having a big referee in the ring. He's like, that referee's pretty big. He's <laughs> right. big referee also. He could beat both the people in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Right. So let's uh, let's close on the um, Pattis O'Neill suspension. Do you think it was too much or no? I definitely believe that 90 days was way too much for, you know, doing what I saw on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that he should have missed um, WrestleMania for it. You know, but again, like I, I said before, you know, this is not his uh, first offense uh, for doing something like this. So, yeah. you know, there definitely had to be some um, repercussions for his actions. Um, I, would, I would definitely like to see Titus O'Neil back. You know, he was, he was getting some momentum. You know, they was giving him some shine on Raw. Yep. He, he had a lot of charities he's done, and he was definitely being a, uh, uh, being a positive uh, role model. And, you know, I like to see uh, African-American superstars be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh, I found it uh, very interesting. I mean, it was it was ninety days, and then you know they dropped it to to sixty days. I guess to to to, to make things a little bit better. Uh, I guess yeah. for but yeah, just missing WrestleMania for that was just absurd to me. So was he pretty? Was he a nice guy from from what you experienced backstage? Oh, he's definitely a nice guy. I mean, he was definitely cool. He read my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope he hopefully he read the second book and he saw the benches that I talked about with uh, the primetime players and it was all it's all said and uh, done in good good heart you know it was all jokes but I'd definitely love to uh, if Chad and I could uh, if Chad and I were ever brought back I would love to definitely work the primetime players yeah um, that's definitely one of the guys that on my list that I would love to work yeah how about uh, well how about you if if you maybe come back. Um, with that with that manager thing, P. Diddy, do you do you see yourself ever coming back to WWE? Do you think that with the fame, because this is about this is, this is about money. So if he's saying that that you and, and you know just your acknowledgement of Shad, I know that y'all still are are, are tight and close. Um, you know he's let bygones be bygones, and so many times, and it wasn't from what I remember you you're stating it wasn't a you know. Uh, it wasn't some type of tumultuous, you know, release. It was just they they were doing the spring cleaning, and uh, you made you, you made the whole text uh, or, or answering the phone call comment that people thought was really really funny. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that there will ever be a crime time appearing? I, I said this actually. I have a Facebook Live segment uh, on Monday nights after all, and I actually booked you too. Uh, in a um, in a, a match uh, for SummerSlam. SummerSlam is going to be in Brooklyn, so mm-hmm. I said it would be awesome if it was the League of Nations, which is Sheamus, uh, mm-hmm. and Del Rio, and Rusev, and the and the Dudleys against the New Day and their mystery partners, which mm-hmm. would be you know the whole Brooklyn Brooklyn song come on, and mm-hmm. then Crime Time come out to me and it's a ten man tag at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. Crowd goes wild. How's that sound? That sounds absolutely great. You know, we should, we should definitely hire you. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would really pitch that. I think that that would be, I mean, you know, wrestling's all about having defining moments, and people still talk about the Dolph Ziggler pop after WrestleMania, and yeah. having momentous and huge memorable pops, 
It's, I mean, it just really helps the highlight reels of wrestling history. And I think that that, I think that just coming back, you know, after such an absence together in Brooklyn and that song starting with Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and I mean, the crowd would just go bananas. So do you think that there's ever a future with doing WWE? Um, Vince McMahon was still in, uh, was heavily involved and still um, had the mindset that he had running his company before. Definitely, because definitely uh, Vince is all about money. He doesn't hold really grudges like that. And I think he would definitely bring crime time back because he know that we have definitely popped and over with the over with the crowd. But as of right now, Hunter and Stephanie are in control, uh, mostly uh, hands on in control, and. Um, I, I saw Stephanie and Stephanie, um, you know, we, you know, she was um, very happy to see Shad and I at the, um, at the ESPYs uh-huh. and in California, but I'm not too sure about Hunter. <laughs> I don't know if he's a fan of a uh, Shad and I, especially after those tweets that I put out a couple of years ago on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, go buy the book. We just spent, you know, the last nearly 40 minutes talking about just some, just some excerpts from the book and you know of course you know we got some spice and some juice and some 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 heat talk from from that you know within just some excerpts just imagine how um spicy and juicy and interesting um and even and even uh you know charming the book can be because you you share some really awesome stories putting people over too so once again where can they find it and where can they find you you can find the you can find it on Amazon, Google Play. The link is in my bio um, at JTG1284 on Twitter, Instagram JTG1284. The audio book is going to be recorded this weekend, so the audio book will be released in about two, a week or two weeks. So get ready for that because nothing's funnier than hearing me narrate these stories. You're, you're definitely right. going to take a have to pause it and laugh out loud, and then get back to listening to it. The physical copy of the book is definitely available, available right now on Amazon. And for anybody who purchases the physical book, um, show me that you purchased it, and I will give you the address where I will personally um, personalize it and autograph your book and send it back to you. But you have to send uh, paid postage uh, so I can return it. Awesome. Give me a quick 10-second t- promo putting over the Pancakes and Power Slam show. Okay. Yeah, 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 yo, 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 it's your boy JTG, a.k.a. the author of D.A.M. Why Did I Write This Book to How to Play the Game, and you are listening to Pancakes and, and Power Slams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you, man. Awesome time. And uh, the second time was uh, it, it trumped the first, man. I had a good time. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I definitely had a good time as well. Awesome. Have a good night. You have a good night. Peace. JTG episode 212 was an awesome interview by JTG. So excited um, to really plug his book and just the, the, the concept of someone not being um, – afraid to write a book like that and to you know you, you know it got to the point where in the beginning i'm sure that it was uh very uncomfortable and very discouraging to draw heat in the way <clears throat> in the ways that he did and you know but the funny thing about jtg is that he turned it into a money making success about the heat that he that he gained in the WWE. And it just really gave us 
um, a just that it, beyond the, the the fourth the fourth wall, the beyond the beyond the uh, beyond the veil, beyond the curtain type of feel to it, and it really allowed us to understand just the backstage politics involved with the the business and you know for those who i mean it's really hard to you know it's it's really hard to assume that anybody listening to podcasts and interviews and things like that is not a diehard fan or you're probably not a conservative fan so with that you probably look at dirt sheets you probably you know uh, spend most of your day thinking about wrestling or commenting on on different websites so you're you're aware of the backstage politics and if you're not aware you spend time trying to find them out and JTG does a really good job presenting them to those uh, who are doing that which is a very wide audience so he's really playing to a big crowd when it comes to writing his books that's the reason why they were so successful um and, you know, it, from what it seems like, there's more stories because uh, there was a couple stories that we talked about that weren't in any books. So there's always something to write about that talks about heat, not on him, uh, not even, if, if it's not on him, it's on others. And that would, that would even be an interesting book to, re- to, to write about, you know, certain stories to remember about heat on other people. And that would be really interesting. I mean, he, he did mention that his, the, with the whole McGillicuddy thing and so forth. But, you know, I'm sure that there's many other stories that he can write about his experiences with other um, people and how they got heat and how they didn't necessarily play the game right or even play the game right. You know, that's that's even a fourth book of, of people who we saw that kind of ascended up the ladder and, and, and successfully jockeyed for position. I interviewed Ken Anderson last week and, you know, he would be a part of the third book of those who didn't necessarily play the game right per se. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he was, uh, he was on the radar from the big wigs of um, holding him down. So, so yeah, it was great stuff. All right, so if you, for those who don't know, um, first of all, thank you so much for continuing to listen to the show and continue to support. Uh, for those who don't know, I have a, um, uh, I guess a kind of a series that I'm doing now. Um, on Mondays, on uh, well, on Sundays we'll do a review, and this is this is all on the Facebook Crave Wrestling page. Uh, I said that uh, we're going. I was going to announce some more things uh, for the Crave Wrestling page, more interactive. Uh, and we've done two so far. We've done one on. Uh, I've done. I've done one on Sunday. It was a kind of a review and kind of a plug for this week, and then Monday after Raw. So. We'll keep those Sunday nights or Sunday afternoon. Just be sure to uh, follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter for the announcement of when we're going to go live. And then, as far as Sundays, and then on Mondays, we'll go live after Raw. And we don't, you know, when I go live on after Raw, I don't necessarily go through the list of um, certain things like we do on the show. 
Um, but just tackle some bullet points uh, and, you know, we'll talk about some interesting things. And so I'm going to elaborate. I'm going to spend the next half hour, 35 minutes to elaborate, 20 minutes, because we still got the foot of the week. And that is the top 10 tag teams, the top 10 WWE tag teams who never won the WWE tag team title. How about that? So we're going to talk about that. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about that this week, and I'm pretty excited about that. Of course, trivia. Um, the trivia question for right now is what – and this is going to be easy. What was Jimmy Hart's nickname? Oh, of course that's going to be easy. We'll wait for the correct answer, which, of course, does not take long for that. Yes, he is the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Still carrying some type of... um, Still carrying some type of uh, megaphone somewhere, probably sleeping with one. With one, you never know. With with Jimmy Hart. So let's go to Raw. Uh, like I said before, uh, Facebook Live Monday nights around eleven fifteen. We're going to talk about some Raw, and then of course with the Facebook Live feature, you have the live interaction of addressing um, you know questions or comments real time, and I'll read them and. Um, We'll, we'll we'll talk about them. So it was it was great. I had a fun time last uh, last night. So of course, um, look at that video, and then my comments on Raw on the Crave Wrestling Facebook page. We're going to start implementing some uh, some live discussions for the radio show as well. So stay tuned for that. Ambrose and Silo special guest Shane McMahon interrupted by Kevin Owens, then Sami Zayn, then Jericho. Shane books uh, Jericho versus Ambrose, and then Owens versus Zane at Payback. Now, I, I did talk about this, but just to elaborate on just a little bit more, I find no logic into why Shane McMahon is in charge. Now, you bust your body and almost killed yourself uh, at WrestleMania for the sake of controlling Raw. You lose the match, which I, I'm happy that he did lose the match. For all those people who say that, you know, I mean, I've, there's been some some vets in the game that said that Shane McMahon should have beat The Undertaker. I adamantly disagree with that. Absolutely not. There's no way in the world that Undertaker, in his illustrious career uh, streak or, or record, rather, in WrestleMania, I still don't believe he should have lost to um, to Brock Lesnar, but you know we'll talk about that in depth another time. The aftermath two years later of Brock Lesnar ending the streak. Ken Anderson last week said that he did he does believe that he he, he liked the idea of Brock Lesnar ending the streak because there's nobody in the back that could beat him. But, you know, at the same time, you say that, and it makes sense, but this is pro wrestling. 
You have Kalisto as your United States champion. He beat Ryback at WrestleMania. I just want the pause on that for a reason. He beat Ryback at WrestleMania. The big guy. There's no way that with that logic, Kalisto would beat 80%, probably 90% of the entire roster. So you can't sit there and say, you know, Brock Lesnar should have beat the streak because he can beat everybody in the back. You know, you just you really can't say that. Of, of course, you know, the big show, and I couldn't really think of anybody from the back, but the big show, I'm sure, the big show may be able to to roll with him a bit. You know, he's a big guy, he's strong. Um, so, yeah, if that's the case, the big show would never lose. And we all know that he loses all the time. So we can't – it's wrestling. It's, it's, it's make-believe. It's, it's theater. It's art. It's soap opera. It's drama. So you can't, you know, use that logic when it comes to, when it comes to this sport of, uh, of, you know. I understand how Al made sense from a, from a competitive standpoint. But still, you know, that that's just the type of logic that you really can't use when it comes to professional wrestling. But I tell you what, Shane McMahon beating The Undertaker, though, would make absolutely no sense. Someone who hardly ever wrestles, hasn't wrestled in seven years, uh, hasn't been on, you know, before today, it's been seven years since he's even been on WWE soil. And, you know, even longer before, you know, he wrestled. So him coming back, not even being a wrestler, being a spot monkey for most of his matches throughout his entire career, beating someone like The Undertaker, no way. And then, you know, so I'm, I'm happy that The Undertaker won because he should have. There's no way that the chain should have won. However, I like Shane. I like Shane a lot. And and so that's the reason why I kept saying every single week before WrestleMania, this match makes no sense at all. It makes absolutely no sense that you have two baby faces, two of your biggest baby faces in the entire company. Now, I did make the exception for Steve Austin and The Rock, because they were two larger in life, just phenomenons, just anomalies. Shane McMahon's not that. He's just a very likable guy who is the boss's son that is going against his dad, you know, who's the owner of the company. So he has that type of pop. He didn't have some type of larger in life, you know, pop. He, he like Austin and the rock hat. So that doesn't make sense that you just can't compare the two. So that's already an issue that you're having shame. man come back against the undertaker who is competing in his home state. So he's already going to be cheered for one. And for two, this might be his last WrestleMania. So he's already going to be additionally cheered. 
So it just didn't make any sense at all. And then McMahon actually going against The Undertaker, choosing The Undertaker to devour Shane, and then going against The Undertaker throughout the weeks as if he didn't even want Taker to be the guy to beat Shane. It just it made no sense at all. And then, you know, Taker and Shane had their exchanges. And then, you know, it wasn't intriguing. You know, the fact that they had it in the Hell in a Cell, that was the only, I mean, that was the biggest, and really to me, the only important selling point in this entire match. Stake of Raw, yeah, you could have saved it. Hell in a Cell, though, made it interesting. And it was interesting. Match was good. Match was uh, death-defying. But still, it's just one of those things that you can't, allow you you can't just you know say that there's no logic involved in storyline building it just that's where the inconsistencies come in that's where the people become disengaged because we're not here to see just a bunch of compiled wrestling matches we're here to see a story we're here to see art we're here to see theater if the art in the theater are in the form of amazing stellar matches, that is a, a plus. But you have to present the backstory. There has to be a backdrop to this scene here. And just having Taker and Shane compete just for Shane to come and control Raw for a number of weeks, it just, you know, it it just slaps the face of the committed watcher for the sake of loving the sport entertainment of professional wrestling. Now, WWE calls it sports entertainment instead of professional wrestling. Okay, entertain us. Yeah, we have the sport, we have the athleticism, but entertain us. Entertain us with the storylines, entertain us with the builds, and just the Shane thing, no, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, I did mention on the Facebook Live that it could have been that Shane McMahon was supposed to debut the night after Raw. That would have been interesting. Now, of course, the scheduled match was Taker and Cena, which... I'd imagine will happen next year to close Taker's career out. But if Taker, you know, since Taker and Cena was the scheduled match, that would have happened at WrestleMania. And then Shane would have appeared on Raw. That would have been, I think that would have been even better, to be honest with you. Because, like I said, Taker and Shane, hmm, it, it, it didn't make sense. And But now Shane controlling Raw, well, it makes a little sense of it being fresh and different uh, and intriguing. Now, I do have a lot of criticisms, and I've voiced that because of it being way too many call-ups and people going to be, you know, it, it's just, it's fresh now, but it won't be in a few weeks. You'll have people that's going to be lost in the sauce, It's going to be just lost in the woods and we, and we saw that with with so many people you know the ascension bo dallas tyler breeze 
Michael McGillicuddy, as JTG and I were talking about. And this is just really sad. Jericho and Ambrose, eh, something else that I'm just not very interested in. Because, yeah, Jericho's winning more matches, but he's just been notorious for losing so many matches throughout his career and not being consistent in his heat building and his character, period. He's really good. He's a really good face. He's a really good heel. But he flip-flops so much throughout his career there's no stability in order to put someone over. Dean Ambrose, he's had his chances. He's been set up just to be knocked down. I mean, his inner, he's his feuds with you know, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, you know, matches with Roman Reigns, feud with Brock Lesnar. I don't even think Kevin Owens was another one. Maybe Owens is the only few that he's won, but he didn't really won it because Kevin Owens won the Intercontinental title back. So I don't even know a conclusive feud that Dean Ambrose has won as a singles wrestler. I, I, I know none. I'm, I'm sure I may be forgetting some. There may be some, but in the you know two years that he's been a singles wrestler, I can't think of any that he's actually won as a singles wrestler, any feud that he's been in. And those ones that I've noticed that, that I've mentioned are really the main ones he's been in. He's lost all of them. So it just doesn't make sense at all. Unfortunately, it's getting to the point where Dean Ambrose is going to be that guy who's that middle of the road guy throughout his entire career. He's been in many times. He's it's been many occasions of him actually winning, potentially winning the world heavyweight championship, and the and the crowd pops. They go, you know, they go wild. But I've never been that guy to see much money in Dean Ambrose. Not because of Dean's work. I, I follow him when he was John Moxley, and so I've seen his work outside of. The WWE. He's over, but I don't know. The look, the music, the gear, the awkward wrestling skill set. I just don't see world champ in him, unfortunately. Mid Carter, upper mid Carter. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who. Alyssa's is a pretty good pop toward the end of a card. Yeah, absolutely. World champ. No. Maybe something like a month or so and a minor pay-per-view during some of the weakest times, some of the weakest months of the year. The WWE, which is usually the May-June time. Yeah, I can see it. Maybe they can do some type of, maybe he could have won at payback and he could have lost that money in the bank. That that could have happened. Uh, money in the bank is, I think money in the bank's June. I think it was June last year. So I think payback was summertime, but they moved it up. So 
I'm not too. I don't know the pay per view schedule during the summertime, but yeah, you know, it, it he could have kept it for two months. Usually, usually the May June money in the bank hasn't been as intriguing as it's as it used to be. So, yeah, I think last year he was in the main event, him and Seth Rollins, and that's when he had the the ladder match for the title, and they both pulled it down, and then Rollins had it, had it at the end or something, something, something wacky like that. But we'll see where Ambrose goes. They've tarnished his booking for the past couple of years so much that – it's really it's going to be really hard for him to rebound. It, it really, really is, unfortunately, because uh, he could be one of the, the strongest faces. Money in the Bank is June nineteenth, Battleground. That's uh, that's the one. That's uh, the summer pay per view. Yeah, Battleground's forgettable. So yeah, Battleground. He could have uh, you know he could have won in Extreme Rules or Payback. Kept it for two pay per views. Lost at the battleground. It's about a month difference between battleground and SummerSlam, so that could have started a pretty good feud. But now, him and Jericho, Jericho wants to put him over to make him somebody important, I suppose. But unfortunately, Jericho's not—he's—he uh, doesn't have a really good tracking uh, track record of really making some people making stars out of his losses. Maybe a few, but not many. Cena was a good one. You know, he he actually put Cena over, but he was champ. He, he he was a few months out of becoming the first undisputed champ, or he became undisputed champ in de- December that year. Lost it in, I believe, I believe Mania was March in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, March the 17th or something like that. And so... He, you know, a few months later, he was known as being this main event guy, and he put Cena over. So yeah, it made sense. He was world champ. He was the undisputed champ. So putting Cena over in that that way, although I didn't like it, I was partial. But he put Cena over. It made it made more sense. Now, you know, fourteen years later, he loses. He wins. He loses, he loses, he loses, he loses. He wins, he wins. Loses, 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 loses. Wins, wins, wins. Loses, 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 wins. That's not strengthening a character whatsoever. Um, let's let's also uh, talk about uh, yeah his match with his match with Sami Zayn was was good. I mean, it was good. I mean, you know, that, that goes without saying. And again, everybody knows how much of a Jericho guy I am, and it's and it saddens me to to have that tough analysis on Chris Jericho because people know I like Chris Jericho. But I mean, now it goes to the point where I'm objectively assessing his career in the WWE. He's been he's been in the WWE for sixteen and a half years, almost seventeen actually. More than sixteen and a half because he debuted in August of two thousand and uh, excuse me, August of uh, ninety nine. So it's been a while. <laughs> it's 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 been almost seventeen years. So 
objectively looking uh, at at that, you know, a bit disappointing. Like I said, his match with Zayn was good. So, interesting. August 9th. So, we're approaching 17 years. Mauro Ronaldo gets a raw spot. Maybe that's a uh, precursor to him taking Cole's spot, which would be awesome. I really like his work, man. I like Ronaldo's work a lot. And when he was uh, covering Access TV in New Japan, that's when I know I know he did some MMA, MMA stuff too, but I really got to know his work when he started covering the New Japan on Access TV. Very, you know, him and Josh Barnett is a very good chemistry together. On SmackDown, he didn't have much chemistry with Jerry Lawler and Byron Saxon. I don't understand why Byron Saxon does Raw on SmackDown. Doesn't make any sense at all. Why is he the one that's getting overworked? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Enzo and Cass and the Dudleys, we talked about this on the Facebook Live. Uh, not happy with this being a match on Raw. They debuted fighting, you know, they debuted going against the Dudleys, having interviews against the Dudleys. Why would you blow it off? A tournament match on Raw? Eh, again, inconsistencies in this booking. I, I I just don't get it at all. I don't understand why it was just a clean win. It definitely could, you know, the definitely could have protected themselves as heels by having a, a disqualification win. Could have just laid out Enzo and Cass, and that would have made Enzo and Cass, yeah, they won, but they wanted to get some retribution on the Dudleys because they laid them out. They, they, you know, I know they're not doing these, this table thing anymore, but I mean, forget it, put them through a table, lay them out, you know, lose the match, but walk, walk out the victors, cost them the match at uh payback. And then that leads to a match at extreme rules, extreme rules. Hint, hint, hardcore, hint, hint, tables match. It could have been easily said, yeah, we don't do tables anymore, but I'm sick of them disrespecting our legacy. That's the reason why he put them through a table. Don't expect it to happen again. Enzo comes out, there's some haters, couple haters. I want to put you through a table, man. How you doing? That's how you do it. Tables match, lined up, Extreme Rules, Dudley's versus Enzo and Cass, because Enzo and Cass was put through a table Monday. So now you have over a month to build the match between the Dudley's and Enzo and Cass. Come on, man. If it takes me, if it's that easy for me to think about something to build, to protect the heels, to give them enough heat to put over the baby faces. There's people who get get paid. There's people who get paid big money to think of something way worse. I was told by some people, even JTG, to hire me on because of the uh, the crime time debut that I thought about, or the re-debut that I thought about for SummerSlam. I'm telling you, man, I you know. <laughs> 
just just think about if if the the WWE creative would think about stuff like that more long term about not not necessarily week to week because when you think of week to week when you think of it week to week there's so many times where your re, where your repeat matches or your blow or your your blow off good ones you just blew off Enzo and Cass and the Dudleys yeah okay if you do it again it's not going to mean as much because they already beat them clean so if you if they beat the Dudleys clean again it's not going to have that big old build and the payoff and the suspense because the Dudleys you know could have laid them out came back a month later beat them in their own match what's a way to what's a way to put someone over as a team than to beat the Dudleys in their own match but who am I Roman Reigns isn't a good guy he's not a bad guy he's the guy ooh First time, it was interesting. I liked it a lot when he said it. Second time, okay, Reigns, I get it. Third time, okay, you're being force-fed to say this because you're finally addressing the elephant in the room that you're getting heat. Now, it's just redundant. It's like the WWE continues to troll Roman Reigns. They're not trolling the fans. They're 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 kind of trolling the fans because of keeping him a babyface, but that's not that's not the biggest person they're trolling or people they're trolling. They're trolling Roman Reigns because he comes out, he busts his butt in the ring. I'm telling you, people are so caught up into putting themselves over that they lose the fact that Roman Reigns is a really good worker, really good worker. Two years ago at SummerSlam, he went against Randy Orton. It was rough. Two years later, almost, leaps and bounds better. Four-star matches. Daniel Bryan, Dean Ambrose, Cesaro, even the Big Show, Brock Lesnar. He had some really good matches the past year and a half. Year. I'd say year. to A little bit over a year. Daniel Bryan was... Uh, right before WrestleMania. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um, fast lane uh, last year. So, a little bit over a year. I'll give that to him. Leaps and bounds better. Way, way better. But people are so entrenched in trying to put Roman Reigns down because Roman Reigns is not the IWC or the Marks guy. Because he's not the Marks guy, the Marks don't like him. Because he's not the guy that they manufactured to become the star. That's the reason why people like Daniel Bryan so much, because he is the manufactured IWC guy, not the WWE guy. He deserves it. Daniel Bryan deserved it. Every single bit of it. But it helped that the Marks liked them, too. The IWC liked them, too. So it helped. Seth Rollins, too. He's an indie guy. So the Marks like him. And they're going to show it by cheering for him. Kevin Owens, too. 
Dean Ambrose, too. Sami Zayn, too. AJ Styles, too. You get the point. Corbin Fandango is putting Corbin over. Corbin's a really good heel. He's he's one of the only solid heels in the entire roster. And I gave that award to Rusev for a while because people were booing Rusev. Rusev was never getting any cheers. That's a heel. You can't, you know, you have all these heels who are doing babyface stuff. Like, you know, I, I watch ROH, and I've been I've been watching ROH for almost in its inception. And nowadays, I mean, the past few years, Adam Cole is huge. He's he's way over. Adam Cole, baby, you know, two fingers each to the sky. And he does these he does these things, these call and response things that's going to make the fans join him in these call and response things. So he's, he's going against the grain to make himself a really good heel because when he cuts his promos, this is what I don't get. He comes in the ring. Well, he does, he, you know, he bends down. He does the Adam Cole baby, the fingers. He comes, you know, people are getting into it. They, they're, they're getting excited. And then he comes to the ring and cuts a heel promo. Isn't that counterproductive? Doesn't that just destroy someone's character? Because you're going against the grain of what the people want from you. And if you and if the and if the bookers and if the creative staff don't want that, which is fine, you know, don't always give the fans what they want. Have them hate someone legitimately, you know, have them actually give someone heat. Don't just turn them because they because, you know, he's getting booed or, or cheered or, you know, just change some things, some nuances like, you know, Roman Reigns stopped talking so much. That's that was that's a huge change. Adam Cole, if he doesn't do the Adam Cole baby, you know he'll be a heel. Counterproductive to get to already come out as a face because people are chanting with you, and then you cut a heel promo in hopes that people don't chant for you. That's that that just destroys a character. Baron Corbin, on the other hand, doing a fantastic job. As remaining a heel. People don't like him. He's getting jeers. He's getting boos. And it's great. Because that's the person who you put over. That's the person who you elicit heat from. Perfect. Have him beat Cena when he come back. Why not? Usos uh, involved villains. I I talked about them on Facebook Live. You know, not too much to talk about with that. Miss TV... Yeah, he's reviving his mid-card character. I can understand that. I'm cool with it. It's fun. Maurice there. Well, it adds a uh, a needed layer for Miz's character because by himself, he's not that good. But with Alex Riley, with Damian Sandow, even when Daniel Bryan, when he was in NXT and when he was NXT's, when Daniel Bryan was a rookie and he had that thing going on, that was even good for him. So for some odd reason, Miz is good, is better with someone else. Cesaro, New Day, Miz and League of Nations. I thought that was fun. You know, it, it, 
didn't really do much. You know, men's and league of nations can't really afford a loss, but it was, it was interesting. Talked about the divas match on live him and, you know, in depth, a horrible, horrible way to book him. No charisma, not, not building him as a character at all. We can't buy into Apollo Crews because he's a really good athlete. We can't do it. That defeats the purpose of character development and really putting someone over because he's a good athlete. No way. Wrestling never was like that. Never will be. Contrary to people's, many people's belief. Apollo Crews is amazing. He's my favorite person in NXT. You know, Finn Balor is up there too. But you can't just call him up to a different ballpark, to a different world in the WWE, and expect for him to be over because he's a good athlete. No, doesn't work. And then Dean Ambrose and Owens, Jericho does the uh, code breaker. Heat for him, yes. But, again, what does it really mean? Dean Ambrose beats Jericho at payback. Then what? All right, ladies and gentlemen, flavor of the week coming up. It is now time for the flavor of the week. I think we'll probably go in depth in this a little bit more um, another time, but I definitely want to read these. This is definitely an article, too. Top 10 best tag teams never to win the WWE titles. Number 10, the Fabulous Freebirds. Yeah, they weren't there for long, but they were so over coming from world class that uh, could have had a run. But of course, again, they, they weren't there long enough. But it would have been interesting. Number 9, the Killer Bees. They were way over. Brian Blair. Be Brian Blair and Jumping Jim Brazillo. Brazil. Sorry. Brazillo. Jumping Jim Brazil that I uh, interviewed him last year on the show. Awesome road stories. Number eight goes to the powers of pain, the world order and barbarian, one of the most dominating, intimidating teams in the WWE. Never won a tag team title. Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man. Really instrumental in uh, being the heel tag team during the Mega Powers exploding. Managed by Slick, one of the greatest managers in WWE history. Number six, the fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jimmy Hart and Jacques and Raymond Rougeau. Very awesome heel team. All American boys. Talk about your trolling. (laughs) Power and glory. I thought that they were going to win. I really thought that power and glory was going to win. They were getting pushed so immensely, and then the rug was just pulled right under them, and they didn't win a title. I really, really thought that the power and glory, Paul Roman Hercules, was going to win it. Win it. Never did. Mega Powers, two years they were together, um, around two years. They were so over. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage would have made perfect sense for them to win a tag team title, but Hogan and Savage at that time, especially Hogan, he was a world title guy. So, I imagine in Hogan's eyes, winning a tag team title would have been a demotion. That's the reason why he didn't win at WrestleMania 9 uh, with Brother Brutai, with Brutus Beefcake. 
All right, uh, and then five, uh, well, four, we have uh, the uh, Mega Powers, like I said, three crime time. Let's talk about that. We've talked, we definitely talked about that. They should have won a, a tag team match, tag team titles. Two Bushwhackers, one of the most popular teams of all time, Hall of Famers, should have won a tag team title. And the number one certainly goes to the Rockers. Unofficial tag team champions, but unofficial. They yanked it because of a botched post, ring post, uh, ring ropes. So, yeah, the house show, they had to go back and change the finish and made no sense for the Rockers not to win the tag team titles. They're one of the most popular tag team cha- uh, tag teams of WWE history. Should have had a bet on them. Ladies and gentlemen, had fun. This is Chris Featherstone signing off. Pancakes and Power Slams 2012. Enjoy your week of wrestling. Thanks for listening. God bless. And we'll be here next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 